Welcome to Hot Singles, a music podcast starring me, Autumn, and Regs. Hey, I'm Regs. What a weird, unnatural intro I went for that time. (laughs) Commit to it. You just got to commit to it. So, um, do we want... I have two, before we get to the album, I have two small segments I'm going to do. Do we want the music one or the not music one first? Let's make a not music sandwich, so music one first. Okay, music one first. I just wanted to quickly touch on for listeners. Um, Draco the Ruler uh, took a plea deal yesterday and got out of prison. Um, for folks who don't know, Draco is A, one of the best rappers working right now. Um, every single one of his tapes is just top to bottom bangers. And two... Um, him and a couple rappers that he hangs out with, works with, um, I think Ralphie the Plug, um, also just got out of prison, um, because of their rap music and because they are successful, they have been for the last year, maybe even two years at this, maybe even three, I don't, I I think it's it's two. two, they have been just getting harassed and harassed and harassed by, um, the district attorney's office in Los Angeles and, um, you know, their, their songs being used as evidence and their trials being delayed and them not being able, like them being quote unquote, too violent to, um, like be eligible for bail. And so they're getting locked up, but no one's ever like had any charges stick to them, but they're, they've still been in prison for two years, despite not being guilty of, anything um and that district attorney got voted out um in part because of like the great work that the la community has done to like organize a free draco campaign and like get that district attorney voted out and so hours after being voted out that person offered draco a plea deal because um if they didn't it was going to get messy when the new da came in it sounded like so i just thought that was cool news (laughs) it's cool news um And if, sorry, to, to uh, quote Jared Weiss of Passion, uh, Passion of the Weiss, uh, Greedo Next. Yeah, Greedo Next. Yeah, for sure. Um, just today we put up in the uh, Patreon feed some of our, or in the public feed, some of the sports chat that normally goes in the Patreon feed. And I just put two Greedo songs in there because, you know, free Greedo. Like, he is also another rapper who the... LA district attorney who has been just harassing for I think even longer than Draco's been it it fucking sucks um fuck the cops <laughs> um fuck the cops fuck the DA and get artists but also literally everyone spuriously put in prison out of prison literally everybody but um it's it, literally everybody these are just two very high profile cases because <laughs> yeah yeah no, literally um, literally everybody but especially the people who are put in as like the the like the the playthings and they're like, they're literally political the, prisoners the, 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 they're literally object yeah objective spite yeah. of some random da trying to make a fucking point 
yeah, we we don't like successful young black men talking about guns and drugs in their songs, and so we're going to put them in jail for two years for no fucking reason. Um, and it, anyway, lighter news. I'm, yeah, I'm glad we did that first. Um, oh, oh, last <laughs> thing about Draco. People should listen to Thank You for Using GTL, an, an album that um, uh, Draco recorded this year f- from inside prison, and it's better than every other rap album this year. <laughs> yeah. But the lighter news, I'm going to send you um, a tweet from Joel oh. Embiid. Oh, oh. We're, we are a pro. pro uh, uh, hell yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> Would you like to Let- describe this for the listeners? Listeners at home, um, I am looking at a tweet from Joel at Joel Embiid, Center for the Philadelphia 76ers, with the text, Mountain Dew on everything? Mountain Dew on everything! I worked without <laughs> Mountain Dew to make it possible. Hashtag Mountain Dew hot sauce. And the images are a bright green action background image of Joel Embiid <laughs> with his hair on fire. And the line, Joel Embiid's Hot Habanero Mountain Dew. And we have a citrus and habanero flavor mashup hot sauce. It's I, so good. I... You know, you know how mm. Westbrook will... Mm. You know how Westbrook had that really iconic moment where he like did the like um, cradle thing uh, as he like dunked on someone? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah, and you know how now he does it like every time he scores, and it's kind of annoying. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit much, especially when he's not nearly quite as athletic, so it's not very impressive anymore. <laughs> I want Joel to just like start posting up on dudes, and then um, making like a motion, like he's putting some hot sauce on some wings or something. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I want the I, mean, I want the hot sauce I wa- to be I wanna his hear, new thing. Yeah. I want to hear every single time he dunks on a dude in the post this season when there are no fans, just screaming at the cameras, he ain't got the sauce. <laughs> um, I, I am just going to shout out on a similar but unrelated note that this, the like a little sauce mixing thing, very similar to James Harden, is the trademark celebration of one of my favorite footballers, Serge Gnabry of Bayern Munich. Um, but yeah, the... the, the I am so here for this. I, this I is... might, do I need to import this? <laughs> is Joel a, is is the process a gamer? Does this put make him a gamer? I feel like he's oh, talked about no. playing FIFA before. I think he's kind of into FIFA, maybe. Yeah, I mean that wouldn't surprise me. I know Ben Ben Simmons has like done Twitch stuff before. I haven't. Yeah, particularly Ben loves that. to play Two K. Yeah. I, that my, um, my abiding my abiding memories back in the PUBG days is Cat and Ben Simmons. We are just going very off topic, but it's good. It's a good intro material. <laughs> um, is Cat, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, and Ben Simmons hanging out on each other's Twitch streams, and Cat trying to convince Ben Simmons to stay on, be like, "Oh no, I got to go. I've got a game tomorrow." And Cat going, "Who's it against? The Atlanta Hawks? Now nah, you don't need to go yet." <laughs> yeah, nice. I need what I want in life is like a team that is just Cat and Wiggins and Simmons and every other guy who I think could be really good, 
but who I think doesn't take things seriously enough. <laughs> I mean, it helped. Like, that's most of the tools already. You've got the Right, there. exactly. <laughs> oh, my word. Anyway. Anyway. Alrighty. Um, so, this week, we were talking about... Um, my pick was, which we're going to do first, uh, was... God has nothing to do with it. Leave God has nothing to do with this. Leave him out of it by backwash. Um, and then after that, we will talk about ecstatic computation by Katerina Barbieri. There's something inside of me. Hard as my bed when I try to leave. Strong as my neck when I try to breathe. Plus in my death as I hide a weed My uncle was tempted with irony My uncle for dead when they tried to sleep Fantasies were shed but just silently Hiding myself so violently I'm feeling like any minute I will let them in I know the demons be eating me out Every second here it's this electric chair Through the windows to see me shout Don't know what people were thinking now If I leave you to read about it I'm addicted to how I feel I'm addicted to how I deal Cause I fuck with, I fuck with black magic, yeah Black magic, yeah. I love the bad magic, yeah. I love the bad magic, yeah. Fuck all the mathematics, yeah. Fuck all the mathematics, yeah. I fuck with bad habits, yeah. I fuck with bad habits, yeah. I fuck with black magic, yeah. I fuck with black magic, yeah. I love the bad magic, yeah. I love the bad magic, yeah. Fuck all the mathematics, yeah. Fuck all the mathematics, yeah. I fuck with bad habits, yeah. I fuck with bad habits. Never cease to exist. I believe in the shit. I grieve and then I leave in my grip. The hedonism got no air. I gotta breathe in the mist. The smoke in the air is prepared to host the evilness. How deep does it get? This potions I in Nixon and well. This kid in the kill. The end when they lift up the veil or lift up the curve. If anything is so certain, the signals is working. This accent is so evil and black. And yeah, I ain't showered in long. I'm always depressed, dejected. Every hour at home, the power of the clothes. The couch is getting higher and cold. I feel so alone, but I don't wanna pick up the phone. Cause I fuck with black magic, yeah. I fuck with black magic, yeah. I fuck with black magic, yeah. I fuck with. I fuck with black magic, yeah. I fuck with black magic, yeah. I fuck with, I fuck with, I fuck with, I fuck with black magic, yeah. I fuck with black magic, yeah. I love the bad magic, yeah. I love the bad magic, yeah. Fuck with the mathematics, yeah. Fuck with the mathematics, yeah. I fuck with bad habits, yeah. I fuck with bad habits, yeah. I fuck with black magic, yeah. I fuck with black magic, yeah. I love the bad magic, yeah.
I guess that I should, um, since Backwash was my pick, um, I should probably talk about her some, but I actually know very little, and I didn't really think to look into it until I mean, right now. I mean, I've got like a, a like two the two lines I know about Backwash already from my own little googling. So maybe I could just do it and see what happens. Okay. Okay. So yeah, Backwash is a black trans artist who is working out of Montreal, originally from Zambia, and moved like when she was like a late teenager. Um, and yeah, got her start making beat mixtapes for her friends in Zambia and is now in sort of Montreal's little like old indie like trans queer music scene. Um, mm-hmm. And this is one of her like, she's put out a bunch of projects. This is the one that sort of like surfaced really heavily and got a lot of play to the point where she just won the Polaris Music Prize, which is the sort of like prestige Canada Critics Award. Um and yeah, um, in terms of like that little scene, it's also got Black Dresses, which is Ava, mm-hmm. uh, looking for the name, Ava, Ada Rook and um, uh, uh, Debbie McCallion. Yep, yep. I was um, just about you, there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, I'm literally looking at the tracks and it's like, where the fuck are their names? I need to see their names. But yeah, um, uh, who are also like very much in the scene, also like trans artists doing cool, like genre smashing, interesting stuff mm-hmm. and are featured on this record and yeah it's a short one it's like 25 minutes or something like that with two little interludes and eight full-length tracks yeah interesting album. but it so, leaves yeah, a really good impression in such a short time and it feels yeah. it feels like a fully it doesn't feel like a 22 minute project in that like it doesn't feel like an experiment it feels like a fully like Rounded well-formed it. like statement about like backwashes like ethos and what she's trying to accomplish you know it 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 feels like a full 45 minute album even though it is much tighter than that yeah and just to like what is that vision the little tagline on Bandcamp is this album is about my version of forgiveness and the things i need to face in order to reach that version of that Mm -hmm. reach my version of that yeah um yeah it is so musically um and I always put in songs, uh, so people will know this by now. But, like, musically, it is an album that I think is do- doing something that has been done before, but not in a way that I've ever enjoyed as much, which is, like, trying to bring together rap music and um, metal music. Um, the opening song, I think the reason that this is not on streaming is that the opening song has a big uh, Ozzy Osbourne sample on it. Um, yep. And... I think I I don't I don't like metal music like at all. Period. I've tried a bunch. It's not gonna happen. That's fine. But this really works for me. Um, yeah, agreed. I also am not a metal fan whatsoever. But there is something about this album that is really really awesome. Like the, the like genre tag here is horrorcore. Um, like I was thinking mm-hmm. like doom rap or doom hip hop is like the way I try and describe it. It's got in terms of the specific bits of metal it's drawing from, it's very much like, it's not thrashy and technical usually. It, yeah. Most of this album, it's very much like thick, grindy guitar textures, um, heavy, slappy drums. It's mm-hmm. like, the, like, I think of the little bit of doom metal that I do know, like that's the vibe. Um, and it really fucking works. The, um, 
the like one metal band that I have enjoyed in my life is like those first couple um like Black Sabbath albums with Ozzy on them and like yeah those are not those are very slow plotting albums and so I I almost think that like having the Black Sabbath sample early in this album helps me get into the right headspace um of liking a sort of like album that is trying to fuse these two genres um yeah totally um and it's interesting to hear her say that it's about forgiveness i definitely hear that now that she's said it but for me it often feels like an album about like um um being in a great deal of pain and just needing to like get it out (laughs) Yeah, um, no, totally. And again, that is its own different kind of catharsis. There are many different ways in which forgiveness might be presented. And like mm-hmm. calling the album this like loud and screamy and angry and like violent and vicious in places, uh, an album mm-hmm. about forgiveness is like, yeah, no, I'm rejecting that silly, like quite trite, shitty, like moralizing version of forgiveness and finding a, a much more like, like re- a reclaimed, powerful version of it. I. I I totally see what you mean. But a, a lot of this is like... Uh, the, 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 the lyrical tick that keeps coming back is all the stuff about family. Some of the stuff mm-hmm. is like very much about like... You lost a son but gained a daughter and it feels like kind of conciliatory and like wants to find a new ex- like exciting and uh, the like liberated version of family. And some of it is just like, nah, that fucking sucked. I'm, I'm out of here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um... For me, the standout track on this album was Black Sheep, um, which opens on, it's been a few months, was waiting to write you back, I apologize to my dad, place him in the spam, and, like, that feels like, that feels like part of the process of forgiveness, and maybe not forgiving your dad, but, like, forgiveness can be a lot of different things, and, like, in some ways, like, not fucking speaking to someone for a long time or not fucking speaking to someone ever can be part of that, I think, um, yeah, in 100%. a very interesting way. You know? Yeah, not like forgiveness to the past self that you bullied into like that moralistic version of owing people who don't deserve shit from you like favors and honor and respect that they just do not deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we're familiar with versions of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um... My favorite, my favorite book that I read this year actually is suddenly coming to mind, which is something that may shock and discredit you by uh, Daniel M. Oh, Lavery. Yeah. Um, and like, since the book came out, um, he's had a lot of like, he has like, the book is about like how transness and queerness like put strains on like familiar familial relationships particularly like religiously charged familial relationships and then since the book came out like very publicly danny has gotten to a place where like he's not fucking speaking to his family anymore um and i this album actually brings up a lot of similar feelings that that book brings up now that i think about it (laughs) yeah The, the like weird kind of duties about estrangement and like reclaiming family and found versions of it yeah i Mm -hmm. yeah subject the subject matter and the lyrics just like need their own time and space but they're all like 
they're, they're all fucking great. But like, this isn't just about that. It's a, it's an mm. album very much about those kinds of feelings in very large part. But also, you get uh, uh, I try like Black Magic, which is just a a fucking just a like, banger. <laughs> it's a banger. It's a like a, a screamy. I fuck with Black Magic. Yeah, like <laughs> incredible, incredible, powerful expression of like love and joy and like passion in the best way yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um Um, if if i could pick a track for myself it's into the void yeah that's a really good one um and yeah it's it's those sorts of tracks that like just have a they have a weight and a heft and a sort of like like a how how would i describe it the sort of like tottering like cumbersome like lurch to them it, it's they've these tracks are creepy they they're like oh no creepy implies they're sort of like hanging back and spooky in this sort of like quite trite way and it isn't that they are like hmm i'm struggling for words here they're the sort of like i imagine these as like fucking weird strange cryptid monsters lumbering across a landscape they are huge and powerful and mm-hmm overbearing and messy and going all over the place and making loud clunky noises as they move um mm-hmm. yeah this this album has a heft to it and i fucking love the the density it has this uh, this is also into the void is also the song that starts on a i believe a sample of joel osteen certainly some like mega church um preacher guy and the level of like witchy vitriol for Christianity throughout this yeah. album is just, it's just good as a person yeah. who um, has a sort of on again, off again relationship with faith and um, um, like is sometimes exhausted by like sort of edgelord atheism that you see online. Like this is, this is the good shit because this is I'm just mad as hell. I've been hurt by Christianity and I'm just mad as hell. And, and the ability to not like spurn that to say like, no, I'm going to talk back at it at the same register on the same level with the same like, mm-hmm. like biblical level of fury and import. Like, yeah, that's a good register to be at when you're trying to like make your case against it. Mm-hmm. Um, God. Yeah. The hook on spells is really good. That's all I have to say about that. The, I, is <laughs> is spells the only song with a hook on this album? Hmm. Hmm. Huh? I maybe. I'm. <laughs> I don't know. Like it, I feel like there's a lot of like I'm just thinking about through into the void, and it, a lot of these songs almost have a song structure to them, so they have choruses rather than hooks. They like have yeah. moments of like. Versus finishing, you just end up with like the final thing that it like rests on, and it will bounce back off that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think this is. It, this isn't certainly a. So that actually goes to the thing I wanted to talk about is like the rapping and the style, which is like yeah. we've spent so long with rappers who are like extremely about the. This not to say this is technically bad in any way, but we've been spending. We spent two albums talking last week about rappers that were like really like off the beat really technical really like all over the place with their their flows in there the like the patterning and the rhythms with their with their rap and then this is just coming through and just like no this needs to be in your face it needs to be fucking front and center 
And it's mm-hmm. either on the beat or it's on triplet flows in trap tracks. And it's, that's it. Full stop. And that's all it mm-hmm. needs to be because it's just about the intensity of the delivery and the lyrics. Um, mm-hmm. And I ju- I'm just like, it's gripping. It's entirely gripping. It doesn't need to be anything more than it is. And it's just good. There's one song and I can't remember what it was. It might be, it might be spells. Uh, can't remember. Anyway, where she's got a flow that was like, oh, this is like an Eminem flow, like, <laughs> and like she's like she's doing an Eminem flow. Okay, I I just wouldn't assume that anyone is doing those in 2020, but like she's really good with this. If you follow her on Twitter, um, like yesterday, just. With, with no context, um, she just posted the uh, the video for Nas's like, and like she's always she was like the day before that posting about some funny video where someone was clowning on Cameron, and like there's a very there's an early aughts rap tra- thing that she is keyed into musically, and also just like posting about it on social media in a way that I appreciate because I am also always thinking about early aughts rap music. (laughs) I also am just have the beat for Nas's like in my head most days. (laughs) It's a good place to be. Um, It it does make me think though, like you said at the beginning, you didn't have many. Oh, that is is my dishwasher. Um, Yeah. So you said at the beginning you had like, You'd seen people try to do something like this before and hadn't ever been quite satisfying. And they're like, I realize the only reference one I might have for this is like, Ort Punk Rack? Punk Rack? That's what I was thinking what, of. What, what's, what the fuck is a Punk Rack? <laughs> um, punk Rap. Um, that like fucking West Coast, like Linkin Park. Yeah, shit, Linkin you know? Park is literally what I was thinking of. Yeah, exactly. I, I like again th- that wasn't a pop music thing when I was young. So like, I've only rediscovered that through like mouth moods endlessly quoting it and like slowly absorbing bits of the culture through the internet being a thing. But like, now nah, I I'm coming from it from a different place and like I am right in thinking that. I'm just I'm super interested in how you relate it to that. Yeah. Um. So. When I was, mm, like, 10 years old, I was super into Linkin Park. And then, as a teenager, I got out of Linkin Park because I was kind of embarrassed of it. Um, <laughs> um, because I just... I went through a couple years where I had, like, a weird superiority complex about, like, music. Mu- I had to like music that was good. And so... We've talked a lot about Pitchfork on this podcast. People can kind of guess about, like, the sort of thing that I'm trying to get at that I can't put into words right now. But I went through a phase where I didn't like Linkin Park. And then all of a sudden, I'm hanging out on trans Twitter, like, eight years later, and all my friends are really into Linkin Park? And I don't (laughs) get it. (laughs) I'm very happy for all of you. I just stopped liking that music when I was 10, and it's hard for me to go back to now. And so just, like... It being commonly accepted that, oh, yeah, all of us like Linkin Park is just a very strange experience for me in a way that I, I, I just can't process it. Uh, I'm very happy for everybody that's really into Linkin Park, though. I, you all seem to be having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Have fun over there. Yeah, like I said, I wasn't into it in the first place, so it's like very strange to see it become such a, like, a totemic thing 
in the scenes and the communities that were in and around. But, you know. It was also weird because when I liked Linkin Park when I was 10, I thought they were not popular because, like, my friends didn't like them. And it turns out that if I had just had different friends and got into them, like, three years later in middle school instead of elementary school... All my friends would have been really into Linkin Park. They would have been the most popular band. <laughs> you know? Oh, you were a Linkin Park hipster. That's why you don't like them now. No, I was not a Linkin, Star- Linkin Park hipster. It's just that I got in... Sorry, I'm just trying to needle you, I swear. <laughs> I, got, I got in with Me- Me- Meteoria. What's that album called? Metora? I have no fucking clue. <laughs> anyway. But, like... <laughs> Everybody around me was into, like, NSYNC and Britney Spears, so I just, like, kind of got out of it. And then also, I got out of it, and then when I got back, when I started to like music, for reals, for real, I needed to like good music. And Linkin Park was not, quote-unquote, good music. Now, now you know, you can... Hunter Gex can make a Linkin Park album in 2021 and have, like, six number one singles or something, but, you know... <laughs> yeah. So I did actually want to bring up Gex specifically as a like a, a reference point because we've got like mm-hmm. we've got black dresses as a as like a featured like helping produce make the sound of this, which is like roaring guitars and like very DIY bedroom producer like in a vertical as hyper pop is like a background thing, but like very much the rock side of that. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's taking some of the same stuff, but in a very different direction because like. When I said, when we're talking about Gex, I often talked about the fact that, like, American EDM uses, like, metal snares. Like, it's all about that, like, really, like, boingy, like, sound a lot of pop to it and a lot of, like, ringing mid-range to it in a way that's just, like, is entirely different to the music that I'm used to, which is, like, very, that British sound, which is a whole lot tighter, a whole lot more punk rocky, a whole lot more post-punky and, like, doesn't have mid-range and just is, like, a, like a hiss of white noise with, a, like, a thump at the bottom end. Um, Mm -hmm. And, like, this is a metal drum kit, 100%. That's the sound here. But it's not the thing that Gex has done, which is resynthesize those drums so cartoonishly that they sound more akin to, like, dance music, so that it is amenable for dance music, rather than just, like, a a weird version of a metal kit. This is very sincere about being a metal sound. Like, the drum Mm -hmm. programming on here is very, like... No, it's not boom bap hip hop by any means, but it's like very straightforward early, like I'd have called it mid two thousand style hip hop, or mm-hmm. it's trap. Um, but it's programmed with drums that really, literally, very much are like American rock drums with a lot of body to them and a lot of reverb on them and a lot of space and muscle to them, which is just mm-hmm. not something I've ever heard done sincerely before, and it's fucking great. Yeah, yeah I think like. One of the things that made this so instantly click with me is just the, like, sincerity that it comes at these things with. It feels like she is just really, truly, like, a fan of these two genres and has seen ways to bring them together that other people just aren't on. Like, it just feels like she is tuned into a frequency that the rest of us have been blind to. Um, in a really interesting way. And I think, I think you couldn't make this project if you didn't have a deep and sincere love for both of these types of music. Um, totally, totally. Um, I do have like a middle point that just like, I don't know if I'm certainly not qualified to talk about it, but like, 
the the thing hanging in the back of my head is death grips. Is what? Death grips. Yeah, yeah. I don't. It was... So this is the thing. I don't know death grips as a. I've like tried mm-hmm. very hard to like death grips, and I don't. <laughs> so it feels very weird for me that I can just walk into this and like it instantly. And it, it's yeah. not because this is isn't confrontational. It really is, but it somehow feels like. I don't know. It, it feels like I have an in with it in a different way that I just don't with Death Grip. So I don't know. Like so, you've probably listened to more than I have. So I don't know if you have thoughts. So, yeah. And today was like my fifth or sixth time listening to this album. I think like I spent a lot of time with this album, and this was like the first time that I was like, "Oh, there's Death Grips in here." Duh. Um, <laughs> it felt so obvious once I heard it the first time. But there is. So I really like that first death grips tape ex-military um like not to be one of these people but i knew about death grips before they were cool i heard about ex-military like the week that it dropped um like if you say to me it goes in 2020 i still will i'll finish the line it goes it goes it goes it goes guillotine (laughs) like and then I think, and I can't tell, I can't tell because I haven't spent enough time with the albums that came after Ex Military. I can't tell if it was the audience or Death Grips themselves, but as Death Grips got picked up by like the sort of needle drop 4chan r slash hip-hop audience as the, the that sort crowd the mew crowd as those sorts of people adopted them death grips took on i just thought ex-military was good i just thought it was interesting and exciting and new and good and then money store came out and it felt like it was a joke now and i I, I I don't because I haven't uh-huh. listened to Money Store since like the month it came out. It's been a long time. But Money Store felt to me like a joke. And I could not tell you anymore if that was Death Grips themselves making Death Grips a joke or if that was me so powerfully like identifying this is the audience with um the music itself. But Death Grips became really, like, repellent to me. Like, I I don't want to listen to, like, new Death Grips music anymore. I don't want to give them a chance anymore, you know? Um, In a way that's really disappointing, because I I really like Ex-Military. I think Ex-Military is, like, um, underrated for its influence, which is weird. Because I think people put onto Ex-Military... People put... A lot of things that ex-military was doing onto um, uh, onto the money store, which I I also just think is not as good of a project. Um, it do, it doesn't have it goes it goes it goes it goes. <laughs> it doesn't have that song, so it's not as good. <laughs> yeah, the song I mean, fucking rips. <laughs> fair enough. Fucking fair enough. That's it, this. I would say this is the only time we're ever going to talk about death grips on. Um, hot singles, but 
I certainly can't imagine any other time we're going to talk about a death grip. Yeah, I feel no need to like consistently beat myself over the head trying to get myself back in. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing for me is like, uh, it's just better that my way into that kind of like grindy confrontational rock rock rap stuff is through a project that just feels like I trust and like my heart is still listening to rather than a, mm-hmm. rather than a, a bunch of records that I feel like gave sucker to the worst people. Even if they also yeah. did give like really great experiences to my friends and who I trust and really respect their own taste of. I also think that part of the, I think part of the death grips thing is the live show. And, um, um that ain't happening anytime soon. <laughs> one, that ain't happening anytime soon. And two, like, I don't like if if part of the thing is the live show, I don't want to be around Death Grips fans, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be around people who hang on slash mew. I, like, duh. Um. Uh. I don't know. I went to I went to a Vince Staples show in 2017 or 2018, and that had the sort of like. It was in Lawrence, Kansas, so it's a very different thing. Um, that had sort of the like awkward white people moshing vibe uh, <laughs> to it. That was, I I think probably comparable to what people get out of the Death Grips show. But like, I don't know. I would ra- I would rather go see Vince Staples. I think he's better, and I think I get that same vibe out of a Vince Staples show. And also, also I get that same vibe while. Um, th- Vince, Vince, literally in the songs, is like, look at all these fucking white people, like, throwing their hands up at my shows when they don't even know what I'm talking about, because none of them are from Long Beach. <laughs> yeah. It feel, feels like, if there's a different relationship when, like, the person can go at the Vince Staples show and feel alienated and uncomfortable, but still fucking enjoy themselves, to the mm-hmm. person who goes to the Say Death Grip show... And isn't called out for their bullshit and just unironically like falls into line with the thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And and like that's not a slight on death grips. It's just that like the culture is overtaken to the point where they just are the that they are. But that that's not yeah. a, that's just a fact of nature, not like a like a great indictment or anything. Oh, I guess the other thing to compare this to um, is maybe clipping, which I like oh, yeah. clipping better than death grips, but clipping. Clipping is just like, oh, I like this, but I never loved it. And this feels like in the same, like, sort of area, but I just fucking love this album. <laughs> you yeah, know, like, again, they figured something I, out that Clipping didn't. Yeah, no, that's fair. I haven't clocked with Clipping in the same way yet, and I probably should give it a shot again. Um, yeah. I want. It's to hard to take on... Clipping seriously ever since that guy was in um, Hamilton. <laughs> Wait, what? It's, it's what? hard to take Clipping. Oh, do you not know this? No. No. The the lead guy from Clipping plays Thomas Jefferson in Hamilton. What? 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 <laughs> Whoa. I'm not allowed to I'm not allowed to like Clipping now. Yeah. I've just it's, found the Wikipedia it's... page. It's not good. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I thought you knew. <laughs> No, I didn't. But that's all is right. it David Diggs or is that someone else in the cast? I can't okay. remember. <sighs> okay, let's not think about that ever again. 
more more thoughts about backwash or should we yeah, move along i have i have one more thing which is yeah hey remember what with anoni we talked about that trans vocals thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so this is an album by a trans woman which like absolutely does not disguise or do manipulation to her voice beyond like miking it properly putting some overdrive on it and screaming like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, i don't know mm-hmm. how you feel about the voice here but like <laughs> this is the thing that i have in mind when like all the think pieces about people struggling and manipulating their voices in order to express their transness is like no no no, no wait the, the the unaffected voice the one that's just like the one that's biological in inverted commas, the one that's like real in inverted commas, the one that's like attached to the body in inverted commas is no less trans. And this screams transness very literally, but also, you know what mm-hmm. I mean by that? Yeah. I, I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on it just because like, I, I it was, it kept on like, <laughs> it, this is from a person who's listened to a lot of podcasts with fellow trans people on it. There is a quality to trans voices that is communicated, even just hearing voices. Like, voices are incredibly expressive and communicate all sorts of subtle things about people all the time, including when they're not affected and hyper-produced. This is a thing that we just learn by living with our voices in the world. Um, I, I It gave me a lot of, like, nice feeling hearing a voice that i could feel transness out of even without there being like the mm-hmm. the sorts of like headline grabbing effecty stuff to make it say that to cis ears yeah um i think about my own voice a lot as a podcaster and um like i have at times tried to like change my voice but it is so much work (laughs) it feels like impossible work to like change my voice and not just impossible work but work that will like me changing my voice is different from someone who does not have a podcast changing their voice because part of like the thing that I sell is me, and I am changing me. Um, and, like, I, I, I listen to my voice a lot more than people who don't have a podcast listen to yeah, their voice. 100%. Um, we literally had the conversation. It, is like, how do you EQ a voice that is going through HRT changes? Like, how? Right. Right. And, like, um, like, so... It's just, it's just refreshing to hear someone, it might be easy to say, not try. I don't think that's what it is. I think it is, like, I sound like what I sound like. I still sound trans, even when I am not doing work to change my voice from, like, its natural lower register to a higher register, or vice versa. Like, it, uh, like... You can still... Mm. Like, it's just it's just nice. It's just refreshing. It feels... Like, I so often... Um, you know, being a non-binary trans feminine person existing in, like, a lot of binary trans femme spaces, 
I feel a lot of pressure um, to change who I am to, or to not to change who I am, but to change how I am perceived, to change what my voice sounds like, to, you know, invent, like look into all these sorts of surgeries that m- might change all these sorts of things about me. And, um, it just feels refreshing to see someone not interested in doing that, yeah, you know, absolutely. just like, like, like there is just other work there is other work to be done it doesn't make i'm not trying to say if you do voice training or if you want to get x y and z surgery like you're somehow less valid that's not what i'm saying at all it's just it's nice as a person who doesn't want to do that to to see other trans people not do that yeah. <laughs> you know validate to own it and express something that is distinctly trans without yeah doing it. yeah yeah, because you can you can tell in every second on this album, like, what she's about. You know? Like, you fucking know. Yeah. Like, and you don't have to, like, you, yeah, you, you don't have to do anything that that fucking Pitchfork article about Sophie was talking about to do that, you know? Exactly, exactly. <sighs> um, and yeah, no, for my own part, like, as a, as a mass non-binary person or gender fuck that wants to divorce any relationship to existing gender categories and in my, and myself like i don't have a i don't have a, a menu to to pick from i don't have a a strategic position to aim for or end up on or a trajectory to follow like i just have to make it up as i go along and it's very yeah. nice to just find new reference points and new like methods and ideas to bounce off whenever i like want to dip in and find any more additional exciting ways about and ways and strategies of like dealing with me and the body and voice and embodiment I have. There is a trans femme voice that I can hear in my head. And I heard it all the time on podcasts that came out from like 2014 to 2017. Um, because it is from a, like a generation of trans people slightly older than myself, not tremendously older, but like slightly older. And I can hear this exact sweet spot that if I wanted, I could put in a lot of work and like make my voice fit into that. But part of um, my um, sort of experience as a person who went from non-binary to binary trans femme to now extremely like, no, I'm not like a woman. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just autumn. You're vital. Um, yeah, I'm just vibing, bro. You're I'm not, just you're not a woman. You're vibing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, I can. There is a very clear blueprint for how I could make my voice sound, and I often feel bad about myself for not fitting into that voice. And so it is just nice to listen to music and hear someone who doesn't have that voice. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Podcast hashtag podcast issues. <laughs> all right, should we head onwards? Yeah.
we go to Caterina Barbieri's Ecstatic Computation. So, um, I should give a little bit of a bio. Um, and to do that, I'm going to read the about section of her website because I think it's funny and might set the tone for the discussion in a good and a bad way. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, the website has flying images across it, so it covers the text ever so often. Um, that's why I had to <laughs> play for time right there. Caterina Barbieri is an Italian composer. Sorry, there's a text. There's an image of her flying across the screen again. I'm going to copy the text <laughs> into a note so that it doesn't happen again mid-sentence. I fucking hate. I fucking hate HTML-rich websites. Caterina Barbieri is an Italian composer and musician who explores themes related to machine intelligence and object-oriented perception in sound. Her current sonic research investigates the creative use of computation and complex sequencing techniques to explore the artifacts of human perception and memory by ultimately inducing a state of ecstasy and contemplation. When you write that bio... You are sending a signal about who your music is for and who it is not for. That is like, as a framing, a thing that I want to make sure is on the table. Um, I tried really hard to understand any of that. Yeah. <laughs> she, she makes I don't ver- think I succeeded. So, I mean, if I had to summarize, she makes highly repetitive music to zone to. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. That, that's that the thing sense. that I liked about this album. Yeah. I liked this album... I like this album a lot. But yeah. Uh, this we... album gave me... Yeah, you, you go, you go. You yeah, go. sorry, just to like... The, the framing I wanted was like... I... The, Caterina Barbieri is an experimental electronic composer. She makes electronic music that is very abstract, very influenced by contemporary classical and 60s minimalist music. Um, mm-hmm. Got like a sound design palette that borrows heavily from trance, but also from like old electronic experiment, experimentation very simple, very sparse, very elementary is maybe how I describe it. Um, it is an album that I, it's uh, just to be, to, to fill out the bio stuff. It's on a label called Editions Migo, which is one of my favorite experimental electronic labels. If you're looking for anything from this sort of like brazen electronic stuff to weird, like acousmatic music to like free jazz that's a label that I always recommend to people for just like hey you want to broaden your music taste just like look up what the latest thing on Migo is and you'll they'll have some fun but yeah this is the world we're in I wanted a confrontational album I wanted to chuck a really weird really abstract really uncomfortable mm-hmm. electronic album at you to see what would happen because I'm just excited and intrigued by it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah tell me about how it felt to listen to this album I went into this wanting to fight you <laughs> because <laughs> let me you know what i can just dig this up maybe no this is gonna i'm gonna need to do too much scrolling i was tweeting th- i was truly tweeting through it as i listened to this album for the first time <laughs> oh was this the, the grumble tweet um I fucking hate this album. Grumble, grumble, grumble. I'm going to restart this album as soon as it's finished and listen to it again. And grumble, grumble, grumble. No, no, no. Because the problem was that I liked this album immediately. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, but the I was... Because I started listening to it at like 8 in the morning. Like I made my cup of coffee and started like listening to it like as soon as I was... um Like 
sat down, and I was like, it's too early in the morning. I don't want to broaden my horizons. Like, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. I don't want to. I don't want to learn. I don't want. I don't want to. I like think. this. I, <laughs> yeah. The 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 problem is that I like this album a lot, and I have no. I do two three things as a critic. Like there are two things that I know how to do. One is to um like think about lyrics like talk about lyrics talk about how production works together with lyrics to convey meaning um but i'm definitely more of a like lyrically focused sort of listener and critic and the other thing that i can do is i can say oh well this backwash album fits into like this tradition of aughts rap music fits into this type of metal music Let's see how it fits into these things, how it rejects these things. Like, like I, I can be kind of a historically-minded critic. I can't do any of that for the podcast with this album, jackass. There's no words. <laughs> <laughs> There's no words, and I don't know what... I don't know what trance music is, so it's not like... <laughs> Piece of shit. <laughs> Man. But I like it. That's the problem is that I enjoy I've I have listened to this album more than any other album. Well no 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 that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. But like I listened to this album three or four times, I think, so far, which is way more than I expected it to. I listened to this album once, like a week before we had originally intended to record, which is actually two weeks before we ended up recording. And I, like as soon as I finished it, I put it on again. And then like, like I started it this morning, and I only got about halfway through before I had to go to a doctor's appointment. And I put it on again after I left the doctor's appointment from the from the top because I think Fantas, Fantas, whatever I don't I don't fucking care is an incredible track. <laughs> um, I'm I'm gonna assume it's the plural of Fanta and just leave it there. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you write an abstract um, electronic track about a Coca-Cola company drink, and that's fine. <laughs> Um, I, th- I think yeah. Arrows of Time is, like, really moving. I don't have anything to say about it. I just felt a bunch of emotions, and I moved on with my life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, this is the challenge. This is the thing that, like, any writer about abstract electronic music of many different sorts, whether it's, like, dance music, whether, like, genre dance music that's intended for dance floors, or whether it's like experimental music that uses timbre and texture that isn't in the familiar tool set of the rock critic. Um, this is the challenge you've got. How do you convey the translation of emotion and like sensation to stuff that doesn't have physical real world counterparts and analogies that people are used to and a vocabulary that people are used to maybe not even like musical reference points and structures that people are used to Mm -hmm. and somehow you're still trying to synthesize that into a language that actually makes sense to people and that is um there 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 is a joke that i've always been sitting on which is there is the the shitty rock critic line of like writing about music is trying to dance about architecture well what happens when you write really architectural dance music (laughs) 
and suddenly it, make, <laughs> suddenly it makes a lot of sense to dance about architecture. And I feel like mm-hmm. this is absolutely one of those albums where, like, if you are attempting to Innervatacomas write about Innervatacomas music, you're sort of missing the point because, like, you cannot take that rockist critic attitude of, like, here's the, like, auteurist story about the, the like, choice of instruments and the production studio and the, like, emotional state of the composer at that point in time. And you can't, you can't take those things and synthesize the, the, the 800 to 1,000 word review with an 8.3 mm-hmm. at the end of it and make sense of an album like this. And that's the challenge. So, like, the, the, uh, I... the uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia title card sequence, the gang tries to understand abstract electronic music. So, I have a shit post and I have a real thought here. Far away. Mm-mm. I lost track of both because I was trying to, like, keep things straight. My shitpost is that how the fuck am I supposed to talk about an album when it doesn't talk? My real thought is that, like, much as um, rockist and poptimist are uh, dumb constructs, <laughs> um, dumb ways to under... misguided ways to understand music, um like um that i think like any any critic worth their salt and any critic worth listening to i.e. anyone who's not anthony fantano in 2020 <laughs> does not really subscribe to any like thoughts about rockism and poptimism but like you know becoming a critic with my own voice in the 10s and 20s I'm obviously like, you know, that's your in the U.S. Yeah, those those are my reference points. Are are these sorts of people like all the work that I do is on some level descended from like Christgau or whoever, you know, yeah. like, um, and so I don't know. Most days I feel pretty good about my critical voice, and it's not that this album made me feel bad about my critical voice. It's just that like, oh, it's at the limits of it clearly. Yes, it's at the limits of it. There's like a contradiction that I thought was resolved and really just did not account for anything that wasn't mainstream U.S. music that was going to hit the charts, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is interesting. It's interesting. I'm a boomer at some level of my soul, and so I was like... (laughs) Like that's fine. It's uh, fine. I'm. I'm. It's also funny when I. Gr- it's funnier when I grump than me just like bright-eyed staring. Like, oh shit! There's music that I don't have a good critical framework for. <laughs> yeah, it's funnier it's, for me to be mean. So I'm gonna it's be funny mean. To- <laughs> hey, maybe this is my attempt to coax you slightly out of being mean. But it's fun to start there, at the very least. So, so I think I should at least start with a diagnosis of where we're starting from and like the failure of intelligibility. And maybe we can work mm-hmm. out of there to somewhere more more useful. So, like the 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 starting point I have for what rockist criticism is is an essay by Mark Fisher. And like Mark Fisher is a British cultural um, critic and theorist, um, author of most famously Capitalist Realism, short pamphlety book about like okay yeah yeah experience of experience of living in late capitalism also very noted electronic and pop and dance music critic and writer 
was one of the first people to put Burial and Hyperdub as a label on the map, which is like a very influential uh, dubstep, um, like genre defining piece of music and critical darling in the UK. Um, so yeah, this Give is me from one an- second. There are children running through the oh, hallway. That's all right. They seem to have stopped shouting now. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is a quote from um, an essay of his called The Metaphysics of Crackle, Afrofuturism and Hauntology. So yeah, I get to fucking wheel out the critical theory guns here. So yeah, rock, rockist criticism always prefers the authentic to the synthetic, the live to the recorded. Um, without using the term, Kodwa Eshin, another critical theorist and a colleague of his, identified the principal characteristic of rockism in a broadside at the beginning of his More Brilliant Than the Sun, 1998, railing against a default emphasis in certain critical quarters on the live show, the proper album, the real song, the real voice, the mature, the musical, the pure, the true, the proper, the intelligent. Uh, what is repre- what is repressed in the emphasis on liveness and authenticity is the very condition of our access to these performances. The technology of recording... Um, yeah, so there we go. The, uh, that, that's like the, the, the back of an envelope diagnosis of what rockist criticism is, is this like fetishism about like the proper, like Mm -hmm. authentic, true way of making emotional stuff. Um, and that like that, what it enables you to do is ignore the practicalities of how constructed and confected that process is. Um, and the, the, the sort of like materiality of like, well, it's not simply you have the, the the Prince or the Bruce Springsteen on stage selling their soul to you. Um, they also need to like understand the process by which it's transmitted to you. Like what their guitar tone is, what microphone they're using, their breath control, the, the graft that goes into it. All the stuff that gets hidden by an emphasis on the sort of like auteur-y, like brilliance and like purity and like artistic insight and majesty of the great rock performer so that's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the thing that we can't talk about here because like there are certainly elements of that like i can tell you like katarina barbieri uses um modular synthesizers i can tell you details about like the gear she uses the the sequencing the patterning the like influence of where these rhythms come from the where the sound design might come from but fundamentally that doesn't really tell you much because like we're so far out the realms of that being the meaningful thing that's transmitting like the emotional content of the music like i'm not looking at katarina barbieri on stage and being like oh what a great fucking performer oh, prince has blown me away with that guitar solo or that falsetto mm-hmm, or whatever it is mm-hmm. the emotional content comes from like the the, the timbres and the textures and the like like the qualities of the music itself in a very like structural architectural sense and that like rockist criticism is just bereft of any explanation for how that works um um yeah yeah and like the moment that the the moment of me deciding i don't know how i'm gonna talk about this on the podcast but i am going to listen to it a second time is like also the moment that like I don't. I knew the name Arrows of Time because I had to pause the album on that twice. I knew the name uh, Fantas <laughs> because that's the first one. Yeah. Um, I didn't know the names of the rest of the songs, and I think that's. 
the the album is a space for is a space that you live in for 36 minutes. It's not um it's not a story being told. It is like it, like you say it is like very architectural dance music. Um and like I don't know. I spend a lot of my days listening to podcasts, listening to books, listening to music in part because um if I ever am not listening to something, I will think and thinking is terrifying. Agreed. <laughs> um <laughs> it's you it's just unique for me to listen to music that invites thinking that and yeah. not thinking about the music and not because I also, you know, when I was in college would listen, would just go to Spotify and put on like soft piano music playlist. And I would go to YouTube and just put on like final fantasy six piano collection, you know, that is also music that invites space for thinking, but that's because it wants to be background music. This wants to be the music that you're listening to, but you don't have to think about like, oh, this time that she repeated the phrase, like it was in a slightly like deeper, warmer register than like the previous two times or something. Like she doesn't need you to think about the particulars of produ- of the production. She's just like bringing you into the space and whatever like sounds are happening. Like you just get to experience your life with these sounds going on. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't narrativize is- itself. Like the thing that links non like the thing that links non-abstract music and podcasts and books is the fact that like they are constantly in the process of like indicating that they are a narrative that you're within a narrative construct that you're going from a place to another place over time in of like a particular directional sense and that that's just mm-hmm. not a thing that like abstract music of various kinds like dance music forms or this kind of abstract um abstract experimental electronic stuff just like it doesn't have that kind of directionality it's built off a different kind of like movement it's built off cyclical stuff it's built off repetition it's built off um like slow mutation rather than like narrativized like sequential directional development um and that it's like entirely that like trying to construct and the ability to talk about progression when you don't have narrative is so hard but again, like you, mm-hmm. you make attempts to do that, like, and and then so this is the thing I wanted to like draw us towards is like when we do talk about this stuff, like the things that I picked out were timbre, texture, repetition, and the emotional state that those things generate, and that like the reason that like narrative is such a powerful way of framing stuff is because it gives us waypoints for the sort of emotional state at any given time, but like. If you want to talk about emotional states, you can get at them directly without the conceit of narrative. And that, like, a thing that abstract music of various kinds allows you to do is, like, oh, the, the like, thing that generates emotional states here is, like, if you haven't got the framing device of narrative, then you just have to talk about it as directly and succinctly as possible. Just linking, like, sound design and development over the course of six minutes and... um the uh like textures and the like my new references of qualities of sound and juxtapositions because that's all there really is um so like um i can tell you hmm 
what's actually the, the interesting, like how would I go about like parsing this record? So the first thing I do is talk about repetition. So this is very explicitly in her terminology, minimalist music. And minimalist music isn't merely like a descriptor for music that doesn't have much stuff in it. It's specifically an artistic music uh, movement that grew out of like early 60s academic composition and turned into like a very influential art music movement through the 60s and 70s in particular. Um, important names, Steve Reich, uh, Philip Glass, uh, Terry Riley, um, there are other offshoots of it that venture more towards like choral, like a sort of subgenre called holy minimalism that like adopts its approaches in chamber music. But yeah, so the, the basic conceit of minimalism is taking minimal subject matter and material and organizing it in a way that produces effects through minimal and systematic adjustments to it. So I, I, we mm-hmm. can do the, some library acting. Um, What's the obvious piece? Yeah. So I, if I could ask you to Google Steve Reich's Come Out. I had to like open the bruise up and let some of the blues blood come out to show them. I had to like open the bruise up and let some of the blues blood come out to show them. I had to like open the bruise up and let some of the blues blood come out to show them. Come out to show them, 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 come out to show them. Come out to show them, 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 come out to show them. We have talked about Steve Reich before in an older incarnation of this podcast. something that lives in the background of a lot of electronic music. Um, All right, I've got it up. So uh, the things that are happening in Steve Reich's come out. There is a tiny little sample of a guy talking about... Um, the, just coincidentally, the, the, the sample itself is from a black guy who was the subject of a priest brutality case 
talking to a journalist saying I'm losing my whole shit right now. <laughs> this is sampled on Mad Villainy. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. It's, it, ah. <laughs> uh come out to show them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um exactly. So yeah, the original it's this is on America's Most Blonde, right? Yeah. So yeah, the uh the original is uh, a dude talking about um the uh the, the, I'm literally pulling up the the Wikipedia page. I didn't realize the um the actual context. This is from one of the Harlem Six. Um, oh. So during the trial, I think after the trial, talking to a journalist, one of the members was talking about um, like trying to evidence the fact that he had been beaten up by police in in custody. Mm-hmm. Um. The. Uh, the um the phrase was I had to like open the bruise up and let some of the bruised blood come out to show them. And what Reich does is take two tapes and put the same bit of the audio recording, come out to show them, come out to show them, come out to show them on each tape, and just very slightly speed one tape player up from the other so that they drift, start off like perfectly playing the identical bit of audio, but the one that's slower will like take slightly longer, and so drift out of phase with the other one. And then come back mm-hmm. into phases, the, the the loop like replays over time. And so you end up with this like phasing effect where um where you're gonna end up with like interplays of rhythm and interplays of um texture that are gonna be like generated over and over again just by this systematic thing of like changing the uh the length of one recording relative to the other and phasing between the two. Um it's process music, it's music that starts off with, with like minimal subject matter and applying the systematic operation to it to generate new things out of it. Um, if you want another, yeah, um, I'm not gonna like walk you through the entirety of Steve Reich's catalog, but like the important mm-hmm. things here are minimal initial subject matter and systematic ways of introducing it, removing it, moving it around, and interrelating it in order to generate new forms, like. Everything is minimal and everything's systematic. And once you've got those basic principles, all the sort of like unit operations of minimalism are just like experiments with like different parts of those principles. Um, so Caterina Barbieri is effectively doing two things here. She's doing what one basic technique, which is note addition, which is taking a phrase, a complex phrase, and slowly piecing it together over time from component pieces of this like mixed like underlying texture just adding one note of the sequence of time until it fills out the whole thing and it's just like mm-hmm. you this is songwriting this is absolutely songwriting but it's songwriting yeah. in incredibly programmatic and incredibly like logical and analytically developmental ways and like you once you have the vocabulary to talk about it you're like aha i noticed this is the thing she's doing it is like this sort of like whatever compositional techniques and I that's unlocked some understanding of the structure I've gone through all of this and like not explained like that doesn't tell you anything about the emotional quality of the music does it like <laughs> me telling you a bunch of stuff about composition doesn't explain why it feels a certain way right mm-hmm. so Fantas is a track that feels like desperation to me Fantas is a track that feels like mourning it feels it's, so this is where the sort of trance, yeah. the trancey sound design comes in. This is just a bunch of saw-toothed uh, synthesizers like blaring into the night sky at the end of a rave while you're like 
staring backwards, not paying attention to the main stage, like just trying to like feel the emotion of like dance music happening around you while you're not taking part of it. Like that's a headspace that I immediately slot myself into when thinking about fantasy. It's like this long emotional swell of like, of like intense emotional euphoric synthesizer music that you can't like fall into like physical embodied dance with. Um, mm-hmm. it's a weird feeling of simultaneous euphoria and estrangement and that's the thing that drives the emotional core of this music is like the way I hear it in relation to dance music that I know and love but also this sort of like mournful mournful figure this minor pentatonic figure that she's got that she's building throughout the piece and the like character of these synthesizers being like roaring and like ripping and buzzing but also somehow empty and not like crystalline and not quite graspable and not quite like overwhelming and going to take your body up and hold it and hug you tight with it. And that's how Mm -hmm, I describe mm -hmm, it. Like mm -hmm, I have mm -hmm. to resort to these weird metaphors of texture and timbre and repetition and the effect that all of those things happen over time, have over time because like you can't get the narrative content, content, content out of it, but that's what it's doing. Yeah. This is. So in, I was thinking as you were talking and this is a mode that I, terrifies me in music of of thinking not thinking of something that terrifies that I had never thought about before but something that terrifies me in music is being left to my own thoughts that I go to music in some way to distract myself from my own thoughts which is more about my own mental health than anything else but anyway um, but this isn't mode that i actually enjoy in some other art forms um like i think a lot of films will invite you to do this mm-hmm. uh of just like be in this space and think I, I i can't think of any movies that i like that do that off the top of my head but like that is a <laughs> thing that exists mostly because i don't really watch as much cinema as i used to persona i guess persona yeah. and hour of the wolf which are two of my favorite movies do this yeah, um, no, very much feel that but i just posted a minute ago in the chat um this link to a video game called um oneric gardens which came out in 2014 which i think about all the time and i don't really talk about it because i don't talk about it because i don't know what to say because it's not a narrative game but it's very I think about this game a lot because it kind of showed me... I I think a lot of people talk about, oh, Gone Home showed me that video games didn't have to be shooting people. I kind of knew when Gone Home came out that video games didn't have to be shooting people. But Oneric Gardens... um, I don't know what the word Oneric means. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. I but mean, it, I've seen are... it before because it's been used in wanky dance music titles of a very similar nature to the sort of music I'm listening, I'm linking to you now. Um, right. In film theory, the term Oneric refers to the depiction of dreamlike states or the use of metaphor of a dream or the dream state in the analysis of a film. And people should, it's by Lilith Zone. People should go look this up. I might post a link to it in the description of the podcast. Um, and it is um, just it is just a collection of spaces that kind of look like mist, that kind of look like Kingsfield, that kind of look like 
a whole bunch of things, and it's just spaces, and you just walk through the spaces, and there's there's sounds sometimes, but there's no one talking, there's no narrative, and that showed me, like, what games could be, because it was, it was just a space, and it was, like, profoundly moving for me, and, like, so it, it's just interesting, I, I don't, I don't have a great point that I'm making right now, but it's just interesting for me to think about my own biases as a critic, and just hang out in this space is something that I love uh, that I love to do in a video game. I think on some level this is like the appeal of Tony Hawk is yeah. just hang out in this space. Um but is like like for my own mental health terrifying in music and for my like ability to do the work of criticism terrifying in music. Like it's just interesting to me that like oh like there is this whole thing that music can do that I was aware music could do, but until we started talking about it, I had no idea that I was like fundamentally opposed in my bones to doing it, <laughs> to going there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, yeah, to just indulge the um the the games metaphors for a little while, like the 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 Tony Hawk comparison is really great because the other game that this reminds me really clearly of is a little game called Grip Tape Back Backbone. Sorry, it's a bit of a tongue twister. Grip Tape Backbone, <laughs> which is basically um, a sort of fake skateboarding game through the, like a vaporwave nightmare scape. Oh yes, I'm familiar with this. <laughs> um, yeah, you just sort of like skate around doing cool skating things in front of all the crap iconography of vaporwave, which is like funny and just like amuses me. Um, at the <laughs> at the same time, it also makes me think of like a kitty horror show game. Like, um, yeah. what's the, the one about the house fucking uh, anatomy, anatomy. Yeah. Which is, yeah. which is incredibly a game about like repetitiously exploring a space. It is again, mm-hmm. a very architectural game in that, like it is asking you to understand the narrative in terms of how it's spatialized in terms of how it's related to a house an architecture, a, a, a way of living within a house, like the American understanding of the suburban single family house all the horrors that that might therein contain the the like the horror in that game is very much a spatialized horror it's not one about like narrative or like like the fear of that game is being sucked to the basement it's not about like a bad thing happening to you the player character it's about space itself collapsing it's it's about like the ability to walk through space failing you um i also mm-hmm. think games like um hit my space outlaw conjures yeah the ability to like understand a space in inverted commas where it's entirely virtual and it's textual and it's not like spatialized but it is very much that mode of storytelling where like the the experience you have is not about like progression and like explanation in a linear sense but it is about inhabiting and understanding the contours of this like arrayed bunch of stuff this is the environmental storytelling thing except like actually environmental in terms of like arrayed in an environment rather than like placed in a way that like you angle the camera right in a Bioshock game and you see a bit of narrative happening in the corner like more truly environmental in the like sense that the environment is the bit of the world that is like incoherent Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, inchoate mm -hmm, and out mm -hmm. of our control rather than like performatively like placed in strategic locations for us and again like this isn't to say these games aren't authored clearly they really are it's just that like the mode of the storytelling and the way you relate to them like clearly has that more environmental and structural and architectural quality to them. 
Yeah, and um, what am I trying to say here? Um, what am I trying to say here? Is it? I guess the thing. Another thing that just got me thinking is just that like. I used to listen a lot to um, the podcasts Sound Opinions and um, All Songs Considered. Mm-hmm. Um, I quit listening to All Songs Considered um, a couple years ago because, one, I just find NPR's whole liberal approach like actively damaging to the world that exists. <laughs> um, and, like, they had... I'd been teetering on the edge of unsubscribing and like they had like fired an intern who was tweeting too politically, but that intern's tweets were like, I went to my DSA meeting, you know, Oh, fuck those Nazis. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, and I, I think that like all songs considered was such an interesting thing for me to listen to for a few years. Cause I, because it is so raucous and it, it fetishizes, music that is not rock music i think um but like i remember the bony bear album 22 to a million came out and they the main guy on there bob boylan just fucking complained for months about it because like it was too electronic-y and it wasn't it wasn't real it didn't get to the the soul of things like four emma forever ago got to it and i didn't like 22 to a million as much as i'd liked for emma forever ago but like fucking whatever dude and this this I, I i bring all this up not because i just want to go back to dunking on rock rockist critics but i bring this up because part of the reason that i wanted to bring hot singles back is that i needed a podcast like All Songs Considered in my life again, and that, like, the thing... That podcast was a utility for me. That podcast was, um... Like, they talked about, like, six albums every week, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And, like, that was just literally just, like, I didn't listen to most of the music they recommended, but if you got, like one album every two weeks that you liked out of listening to the show, then it was worth it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And so the reason that I wanted to bring this podcast back is so that you and I could be that utility for other people and that also that you could be that utility for me and that I could become that utility for myself and, like, force myself to listen to a car seat, heads, car seat headrest record that I might not have listened to otherwise. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. Um, and so it's interesting thinking about all these things and thinking about I quit that show in part because I found um like this sort of like rock oriented way of thinking like boring and limiting to your worldview and then we get to something that I can't fit into that and I'm like oh god no what do I do Terrifying. Thank you, listeners, for indulging my existential crisis on this episode of the podcast. <laughs> it's it's fun. Can I like can I like do a little live experiment? Yeah. So, Spine of Desire is a one minute thirty track. Can I ask yes. you to listen to it and describe the emotional qualities of that track? 
Because I have a, let's do it. I have a very strong sense of what this track is like for me. Um, I had to make a decision because you know I do my Excel spreadsheet at the end of every year for like favorite track of the year. Last year mm-hmm. I had to decide whether Fantas or Spine of Desire was like the Katarina Barbieri track I put in the top five tracks of the year. They're very different tracks. Uh, Te- that one's yeah. ten minutes, one's one minute thirty. They're doing very different things, but I love them both. I just wanted. To, I have an idea of what Spine of Desire feels like. I want to hear what it feels like to you. Let's. Um, I'm gonna pull this up. Do we want to just both start listening to it at the same time? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Three, two, one, me, and we'll okay. Go. All right. Uh, three, two, one. Oh. Don't no, I hit play by mistake. <laughs> it's playing. It's playing. Surprised myself. Okay, yeah, whatever. I'll be a couple seconds behind you. So we're building to something. But then I if I'm remembering this track right, we don't get to whatever we're building to. Um because we've got this other top line that is just kind of sad. We've got this like yeah, see, we're coming down again now. We're coming down again now. Because um, there's... A... Hmm. It almost feels like sirens. Like, the, it feels like there's, like, the, the Doppler effect going on, you know? Um, but that top line is just kind of, like sad in a way that Hyperlight Drifter is sad. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Sorry, I can only talk about video games this episode, apparently. I mean, Hyperlight Drifter's a good fucking soundtrack. Nothing wrong with that. It, it fucking is. This is good. Yeah, I think it... You know when you listen to I'm gonna let it finish. You know when you listen to a Frank Ocean song and it makes you feel like I get you and I are different in this way because you're British. You know how you <laughs> hit me anyway and we'll see whether it's true or not. You you know how you like you we're different in this way because you're British and you go to clubs, and that's how we're different. Uh-huh. Um, okay. They're the the only reasons. The, the, the listener, to be clear, they're the actual, <laughs> factual only differences between us. The, just those. Basically. <laughs> you listen to a Frank Ocean song, and it makes you feel like you just, like, went and kind of had a bad date with someone. It, this song makes me think about Good Guy from Blonde. That's what it makes me think about. Uh-huh. And you had a date... And it was kind of bad, but then you made out with the guy after, and you kind of didn't, and then you, like, drove around, like, you dropped him off at his house, you just kind of drove around and, like, felt weird. And this is not an experience I've ever had in my life, but feels very real to me, um, because I live in a culture, um... (laughs) We do indeed live in a society. (laughs) I do, like leave dates feeling bad and then just drive around Kansas highways. This feels like that. This feels like, oh, things are coming up. I'm feeling good. No, I just am kind of depressed, maybe. 
<laughs> Maybe <Yeah>. this sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, like, I can give you my answer, which is this is the feeling of being anxious in the club. This is the feeling of... Mm-hmm. Uh, this This is the top line of euphoria. This is, again, the, playing the two, two, like, separate aspects, which is this track is a, a lead line, which is this, like, euphoric, almost trancey, like, dance music line repeating, and this sort of, uh, t- like, temporally, like, it's in time, but it's sort of different meter and with a different repeating pattern, so it's never lining up in the same way. This, like, incessant beeping part that's unpitched and looping up and down, that called a siren, it's very much like that. Like, the dots are affecting up and down. And, like, this is the feeling to me of, like, if, if you just resynthesize these elements so that beep was in pitch mm-hmm. and then put a kick drum underneath this, this could be the framework for an incredible minimal techno track. Like, an incredible minimal techno mm-hmm. track. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it isn't is because that, that um, beep is bendy and plastic and rising and anxious and terrifying in a way that I can't get to grips with. And I don't miss the kick drum. I don't miss the fact that this could be a techno track because, like, a not all great techno tracks need to have that kick drum. Not all uh, techno tracks have that kick drum in the first place. Um, uh, like, it's just fine as it is. It's not. This isn't like a like an empty composition or something. But the point is that like the emotional quality is of this like intense that I feel it is an intense anxiety of like, oh, my headspace is not right for the environment I'm in right now. I feel that yeah. th- this track has threat to me. Um, this track is like, it, it's, this track is piercing in a way that like, if I heard this in a, like, I've heard people play this music live before, like people mix Katarina Barbieri into DJ sets and things like that. And it's an intense sense of estrangement in that like, at some level, you're like intensely in the moment, intensely embodied. That the the like the thing about dance music is often like generating that sense of like euphoria and like warmth and celebration through the sorts of timbres that like people have engineered over many years to like fit those needs and sensations of like dark room, intense sensations, bodies all around you, movement, excitement, intensity, and that like. Mm-hmm the double headspace of like feeling that, but also an intense self-awareness or an intense anxiety or an intense like acknowledgement of difference or out of fit or, or lack of fit because, and I can say like, it's because of the fact that it is unpitched and going, it, it is not a build towards a point that would continue the feeling of euphoria. It's not a tension that ever releases. It's also out of time and not repeating. It's like, a generative process rather than one that's repetitive. Like it's uh, a process that's like generating new kinds of awkwardnesses, awkwardnesses over time. And those are the like the ways in which I'd rationalize the emotional experience of like anxiety and terror out of the like structural elements of the track. Um, and they're like, that's a different emotional quality to fantasies and a different emotional quality to like uh, hours of time or something like that, which is this like mm-hmm. long drawn out abstract, like, electronic version of a chamber piece or or um buzz of perception which is this like beautiful bubbly thing um buzz of perception is like a piece of music i could fall asleep to um yeah errors of time is like being sad on a beach (laughs) (sighs) so this is one where like it's got a harpsichord sound and sampled choirs sampled vocal textures 
And it starts to get into, like, the way I'd analyze that track actually comes shockingly close to one of the musicians that I've, I'm threatening to bring to this podcast, but won't probably yet. And if I do bring it, I'd probably invite Marcy along for the ride with us, which mm-hmm. is One of Tricks Point Never. Um, one, right. one of Tricks Point Never is the project of a guy called Daniel Lopatin, who was one of the few people who I'd grant myself the, the willingness to call, like, one of the great auteurs of modern electronic music. He's one of, like, my musical heroes. Probably best known now for either the soundtracks for the two Safdie Brothers films, uh, Good Guy, uh, sorry, Good Time, and um, this is this is how I win. What the fuck's it called? Uh, un, un, Unt- uh, uncut, uncut gems. Uncut gems. There we go. As well as doing the production for the last, the all the '80s production on the last Weekend album. That was all him. Um, ah. Yeah, exciting. So the thing that he did in his previous career was one of Tricks Point Never, and he's literally last this this week put out his newest albums. He's gonna have his fucking Jimmy Fallon debut on f- tomorrow. It's bizarre. I what? I know. Um, what? what? We're in that world. It's strange. Um, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I'll send you the link when it happens, and we'll we'll be confused about it together. But yeah, so he has a back history of recycling a mix of internet detritus and the like hyperplasticity of 90s keyboard synthesizers to like construct textures that are alien and strange and interesting and like that's the feeling that i get from hours of time which is like there is a weird kind of again i'm going to call it estrangement coming from the ability to construct something that's so meditative and contemplative out contemplative and like holy feeling, chamber music feeling, out of like sounds that are that biting and digital and crystalline and like awkward cutting maybe, mm-hmm. and that like that's a sort of like interesting tension that's sitting between the like acknowledged plasticity of the timbres, but the like all the contextual clues telling you that this music should be like warm and inviting and soothing and full of like veneration and respect for the structure and the like progression that it's going through so like that's again it's like tensions and fun like complex counterpoints mm-hmm. and interplays but like talk that talk about that in very referential terms whereas like a track like Bose of Perception for me is not intention this is just like one of the best written like melodies that I've heard all year uh, or had heard all year or last year at least and just played out and experimented with and like stretched like taffy over seven minutes. And that's all the track right. is. And it's got this much more like soothing, like velvety qualities for it. And the like the sound design mm-hmm. is slightly more muted. The it feels again like a bowed instrument, almost like a, you're approaching a cello's timbre, maybe. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. these are all the things that I like use as like descriptors and reference points, and like again, it becomes very referential. You can't again to dance about architecture. You have to maybe like uh, do I don't know uh, origami about swans. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> like everything becomes referential to itself. There's no like uh, context that like makes everything crystalline, clear, and intelligible to everyone else. But, like, through this, like, scramble to find metaphors and find conceptual analysis and map that onto the technical things that are going on and map that onto, like, the sensations that you're feeling at any given point in time or that result from Mm -hmm. living in that space Mm -hmm. from any point in time. 
you start to build up pictures and impressions that like maybe they're informative i hope they're informative but there's like a, a different kind of poetry to them like the i cannot hope to pretend i've got some like analytic solution to how to analyze abstract music to how to abs- uh, analyze dance music or electronic right. music all i can hope is the sort of poetics of it the sort of like the the communicative facilities that i have at my hands do enough of the emotional work that i'm trying to make them do trying to make words dance in my mm-hmm. hands and mm-hmm. desperately grasping for every tool i every tool i have to make that happen That feels like a good note to end on. Yeah, it is. Again, I wanted this to be a confrontation, and I'm super glad with the way it turned out. Um, yeah, I am too. I am very happy with this. Same. So do you want to talk about what we're doing next I... week? Yes. And I'm going to go first, because one, I don't know what you're doing, and I'm excited about what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and so I'm just going to go. Do it. And two, because I think I can actually tie this in a little bit to what we've uh, another little offshoot of something we were talking about. So, another I- important tenant of like traditional music criticism is that like the album is a statement. That's something I said like kind of pretty early in this episode. Like, oh, this backwash album is a statement, um, and it is like a there is a certain and proper way to make music. Um, that like uh, critics want music to fit into and something that we have not touched on um in the podcast so far that i think is important and that i wanted to touch on is that albums don't matter anymore (laughs) (laughs) is that um you know the means of distribution shape the art that is produced and streaming has to, reshaped you're, you're allowed to say means of production we're allowed to do that <laughs> yeah I, I know i know i'm just talking specifically like the way that the art is distributed through streaming has affected like the the art that is put onto the streaming service, you know. Yeah, I I just be, so, I'd be even more heavy handed to say that Spotify is part of the means of production and the means of production. Oh, absolutely, determine absolutely. The, determine the form and nature of the the relations produced by it. Oh yeah, Within I just it, couldn't I, mean. I couldn't put that sentence together in my head. But I was <laughs> trying to get it exactly what you said. Yeah. I just couldn't put those words together. Anyway, streaming's um, fucked us over because streaming rules all the economic imperatives faced by musicians nowadays. So yeah. So, in the description for this episode is going to be two things. One is going to be a Spotify playlist for every single that Frank Ocean has put out since um, uh, Blonde came out in 2016. Uh, I'm going to make a Spotify playlist with all of that music. And then what I'm also going to do is make a, a, a mega folder... And I'm going to have three things in there. I'm going to put Endless, which is an album that is exclusive to Apple Music because of weird, arcane ways of wiggling out of bad record contracts. I'm get you, um, get you a dollar, Frank. And yeah, yeah, no, get paid, Frank. Um, I'm going to put disc one of this mega folder that I'm going to make is going to be Endless. Um, no one fucking snitch, by the way. <laughs> No one snitch. Disc two is going to be 
all those officially released singles that Frank Ocean has put out um, since 2016. And then disc three is going to be also on Blonded Radio, an Apple Music product. Um, He's often put out like, like there's a version of Slide On Me that's got Young Thug on it. And there's a version of Provider that has ASAP Rocky, I think. Or maybe Lens has a, like there are a lot of like, remixes that appeared on blonded radio that have never been officially released on streaming services and i'm gonna put all those i'm gonna put all those remixes in this mega folder endless and um those remixes are really the reason this like you know the the sort of disc two that i'm gonna make that is gonna be all officially released stuff so if people don't want to go illegally download frank ocean music for some reason like I guess you can do that. I guess you can just be a weirdo and, like, care about legality. Or we can talk about, you know, because I because I know how to make this play, this zip file. The real the real shit would be to, like, let's let's talk about a zip file of, like, just a bunch of Playboy Cardi music that we found on Reddit. That's the real shit that we would talk about, but this is the one that I know how to make, and we both like Frank Ocean, so I wanted to do this. I mean, there are (laughs) other things going on other than the fact that Frank has, like, carved out four years of a career outside of an album format while still maintaining his status as, like, one of the most important creators in music. And, like, there is stuff going on in Frank Ocean's work. So, like, is the, like, headline thing the Frank Ocean singles post Blonde and Endless, or is it Endless plus other stuff, or... I th- I think it is I think the headline thing I think the headline thing I might skip endless because like uh, I don't know. I think the headline thing is the singles. I just think that endless kind of provides a context for what those singles are yeah. that maybe blonde doesn't. I think blonde is supposed to be the like album that brought Frank Ocean back that um like established what Frank Ocean was going to be this is what album Frank sounds like and i think endless is sort of the like sketches and like strangeness that like was in a way that is very surprising to me now in 2020 um like i think endless was more indicative of where he was going as an artist yeah. um fair than yeah I've never, I've never watched Endless. By the way, I've never Ooh. watched it. I've heard it a bunch, yeah. but I've never watched it. Neither. So that'll be interesting. Interesting. Um, if the video version's in the zip file, I might spend some time doing that. Um, you'll be, ha- yeah. you'll be happy to know that. I don't know if you saw. Um, Frank came up in Abnormal Mapping Discord music chat, and I explicitly said, oh, nice. um, to someone looking to try and get into Frank Ocean, um. Like, definitely start with Channel Orange. Progress to Blonde. Yeah, start with Channel Orange. Yeah. But don't forget Endless. And the explicit line, I'm quoting myself here, Autumn would never forgive me if I let that one slide. Um, um, everyone, you know, everyone needs never to... Never fuck someone you wouldn't want to be, though. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> needs to remember what Endless is about. Yeah. And with that, I can say what my pick is, right? Yeah. And my pick is not... It, it's an album. I'm not doing any of the weirdness, the witness with that stuff there are many ways in which i could fuck around with singles and particularly for dancing electronic mm-hmm. music but that, that's for some other time the album i'm picking is owen Pallet's in conflict okay 
any one one i'm guessing you don't know about i don't know this cool i'm looking it up i'm gonna have fun with that one (laughs) Um, owen pallet what was the name of the album again in conflict from 2015 maybe 14 14 2014 okay cool cool wonderful all right I noticed that in 2015 he worked with Titus Andronicus on a really good album. So. Yeah, no, um, he's okay. He's got around strings on. Okay, okay. Um, he is the uh, he's the arranger and violinist for Arcade Fire. He okay uh, was part of the XL Everything Is Recorded thing that produced a bunch of really cool music with like Samphone, Kamasi Washington, and Peter Gabriel, people like that. Um, and then also that um, Tyson Dronicus thing. Yeah, sick. Um, where can people find you online? People can find me at Regression with three S's. And people can find me at Abdominal underscore Coffee. The Patreon's got links to everything. I'm feeling pretty tired at this moment, so I'm not gonna get into it too deep. But yeah. <laughs> wonderful this has been a fun one this has been a good one this has been really good (laughs) 